welcome listeners to the 22nd episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me today, as always, are my wonderful co-hosts, the powerful wizard Robinson Sien and Christopher Wikström. Also, as always, the very best of welcome to you, dear listeners. Hello, friends. Hello, everybody. I hope this is a good start for your week, and I hope that we can boost it even further. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Decked app. In today's episode, we will hear about another great Thursday paper legacy featuring twice as many of the hosts of this podcast as uh, compared to last week. After that, we are reconvening the Basic Land Connoisseur panel after a bit of a hiatus this week to talk about what mountain to play in Goblins. For those who missed out on that for some reason, Paper Legacy is live in Stockholm every Thursday. Robert and Christopher and 17 other Sorcerers Supreme gathered uh, last week. Before we hear from them about how it went down for them, though, I want to do a brief rundown of the metagame because, wow, this is just so Stockholm. Yeah, the meta is super Stockholm. It's just all over the place. Love it. To start off, we have two blue-red Delver, two lands. So sort of that's okay. That's sort of you know reasonable for a 19-person Paper Legacy event. You will see a couple of copies of these decks. Then we have two copies of Jund, one copy of Forge, one copy of Standstill Lands, one copy of Yorion Esper Vial, one Nickfit, one Doomsday, one Mono Blue Artifacts, one Tesserator, one Death and Taxes, one Blue White Blade, one Painter, one Most, one Yorion Allurian, and one Sagavan. I mean, I do not want anything else uh, out of my life than this. Uh, I mean, at the moment, I am stripped for time in the evenings, but that will change. Uh, and I'm also glad to say that all decks that I have sleeved would have added another category here. Except, of course, Nickfit. <laughs> I am in no way unique in my town with that deck. And <laughs> now uh, what we all want to know is, Christopher and Robin, how did you do? Robin, take us away, please. So, yeah, it was a great uh, night of magic. I was sporting my lands deck that I've been talking about. Uh, and, of course, I'm testing for the national championships. So the first match of the evening was against a deck that is called Most. Christopher, uh, can you give me a rundown of the acronym? <laughs> so it's uh, Marike Opposition Survival Tradewind. Right. So this is a, a creature toolbox deck that uh, used Survival of the Fittest in the old days to find all of these awesome creatures. And I don't think that uh, Tradewind Rider uh, is played anymore and Opposition is not played anymore either. But I think he was actually playing Marike because he was talking about stealing my Merit Lage with it. Which is really cool because also if Marike is untapped for some reason, Merit Lage is not given back, it's destroyed. And since Merit Lage is indestructible, you just keep it. So that's quite cool. But yeah, so uh, this is a, a toolbox deck, and instead of uh, of Survival of the Fittest, you are playing Fauna Shaman, which is a, 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 a card where you discard a, a creature card to search your library for any creature card. So by green sunning or just finding uh, Fauna Shaman, you can access all the, the creature toolbox that you have in your deck. So that's quite a cool deck, quite a spicy brew, I should say. And um, I, I kept a hand with a little bit of uh, of my engine in a Valkut Exploration and a Punishing Fire and a Grove. So 
that was a solid keep against this deck. And uh, Fauna Shaman, of course, is a 2-2, so it dies immediately to Punching Fire. But he, he managed to land a Scavenging Ooze, and then there was a little bit of a battle of my graveyard cards and his Scavenging Ooze. But I, I think he exiled uh, Life from the Loam, but I managed to salvage the Punching Fire and could get rid of it eventually. And I had a Valley Cult Exploration, which just snowballed, uh, as, as it tends to do when it's not... Uh, dealt with. So I found another Valkyrie Exploration, played it, and uh, a little bit further down the line I found an Ordinary Exploration to make uh, to see four new cards uh, with it for each uh, each turn. That ended uh, quite favorably for me. Then in uh, game two, it was quite similar actually, because I also had a Punishing Fire hand, and he also had a Scavenging Ooze hand. This term it was a little bit closer, and he was beating down on my life totals. But I managed to make Merit Lage in sort of the second, in the in the final turn before he had lethal, uh, and couldn't swing for for lethal. So that that was quite some cool games. And uh, yeah, Christopher, you were watching this the whole time since you had that buy. <laughs> yeah, I I got the buy in the first round, so I was you know just uh, picking up the meta. That's how how we have the data. But uh, yeah. It, it it was a really fun matchup. Uh, the the mana base of most decks, uh, not most as in the majority, but in the most decks, Brumsh. It reminds me a bit of a, a Maverick without wastelands and with less basics. And you know, it's it's quite a mana hungry deck. Uh, if you don't get the engine going, kind of like Esper Vial, uh, you get you get severely punished further down the line. So. Watching, you know, Lance just picking the mana base apart while uh, shooting punishing fires was, you know, some some flashback to a, you know, sad moment in the superhero movie. So it was it was quite rough to to watch, but uh, you know, I think that deck can have a lot of game against uh, a deck like Lance, especially if they're running, you know, Gilded Drakes to tutor for or or something like that. But it was definitely a fun, a fun game to watch uh, when he just jammed that scavenging ooze. And uh, you know, your best card in that matchup is probably the punishing yeah. fire. And you know, the the whole the whole dynamic of the matchup just switches drastically. So it was a, it was really fun to watch. Yeah, and I think he was playing that combo Volrath Shapeshifter, which copies the top creature of your graveyard, and then you get Phage into the graveyard and can swing for lethal with Volrath Shapeshifter. So I, I was uh, like on the lookout for because when he had an active vial, I was always a little bit afraid of that, and I think he kept it at three, which would vial in Volrath Shapeshifter. And but I mean, I think my, it might have been hard for him to find that because I was always cleaning up the Fauna Shaman so that he couldn't do any shenanigans with putting creatures in the graveyard or I don't know if there's Venge Vines in there. I think there we saw an Uro. So yeah, it's a really cool deck. A lot of uh, different uh, paths to avenue to, to victory there, I think. So yeah, very cool. Game two was against uh, blue and, and white Stoneblade, but in game one, I played Exploration, played a land, he played Island Delver Go. And I had, once again, the Punishing Fire, so I played land, uh, played Punishing Fire around a days, and then Grove to pick it up again, and he just scooped. So I didn't see much of the deck, and uh, it, it masked itself as a Delver deck, of course. So I boarded as if this was blue and red Delver. So I boarded out most of my grind cards and just put in interaction in the deck. And in game two, he played four four five six something like that basics 
Islands and Plains, uh, Stoneforge Mystic, uh, and uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor, and that kind of grindy cards. So uh, I have boarded completely wrong. And uh, he was brainstorming with Jace, so he was getting quite ahead there. And uh, I had no real way to pressure his Jace, so uh, I ticked my Blast Zone up to 4 to blow his Jace away. But then when it was no longer on 3, I was susceptible to back to basics. So that's how I lost that game. And then in game 3, he had quite an early crucible of worlds, which I had no answer to, and the wasteland. So he was wasting me every turn. But I was sort of keeping up with this because I had a Valakut exploration and an exploration. Uh, so I could make a land drop each turn and uh, see another card and sometimes make two land drops. So I was sort of keeping up with, uh, with uh, his land destruction, but he was also developing his board, of course. Yeah, so that game went to time, and uh, he had a really favorable position, but I was able to stall it uh, throughout the turns. But I was giving him the victory because, I mean, he was he was clearly ahead there, and there's no no point in, in being a sort of a, a draw bracket <laughs> in a, in a Thursday night magic uh, event. So I took the loss, and then in the game three, I faced Mystic Forge combo, and he had a real explosive game one where he could put a few artifacts into play and then echo for a new hand. And uh, I was giving a new 7, which was quite alright. I had an exploration. I also had a blast zone and he put uh, two or three keys into play. So I thought that uh, I should blow these keys up before I play my exploration. So I, I went with a turn 1 Ancient Tomb and then the next turn I played uh, the blast zone and the mox so I could just blow it off immediately. But he was able to rebuild from there and get to his combo uh, via Karn the Great Creator. So game two, I have boarded in quite a lot of cards. Not many cards matter in this matchup. Most importantly is of course Sphere of Resistance, I should say, and uh, and Force of Vigor. So I'm ult to four, uh, no, I'm ult to five, sorry, and uh, kept a hand that would make it quite an early Merit Lage. I did not see any of my sideboard cards. So I, I threatened an early Merit Lage, but he had Karn, which found his bridge. So I had to sort of get through the bridge first. So I found the Blast Zone and blew his bridge up, and then threatened Merit Lage again, but then made a terrible mistake of playing Boyuka Bog to exile his graveyard so that he couldn't sort of time twister it back into his uh, deck. But silly me, I didn't remember that Karn can wish from uh, the exile zone, so he got his bridge back and we had to do it all over again. I could loam up my uh, my blast zone, but I had to tick it up to three, then had to blow it and then had to make the Merit Lage. And this gave him enough time to uh, to, to start going off with uh, with this mesmeric orb and uh, mystic forge and the funny thing is that uh, I had quite a lot of interaction in my hand but I was mana stabbed because he had a double defense grid out to to protect his combo that was quite cool actually so I think this this matchup is is not favorable even off the board so I'm not uh, so disappointed with losing to that on the final game, I faced a known lands player, so I was sort of certain that he would play lands. Sometimes he has been playing other decks as well, but I think of him as a lands player. And he sported uh, old school blue and green lands, where he, he he said that he just took out his Okos and, and just threw in four other cards. <laughs> That's quite cool. And uh, so he was on the you know the standstill uh, build. 
that was quite popular during the the Oko era. And and this sort of shows uh, how our decks sort of match up against each other. He had a turn. I had a turn one Sylvan Library, and he had a turn one Standstill. Next turn, I play Saga, <laughs> and his Standstill was quite bad. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, so uh, I won that quite easily. And uh, game two, we both had a little bit of slower hands with multiple wastelands. So it was like, you know, the waste wasteland Armageddon that can happen in land mirrors. We just wage each other. And he, he boarded in a second box. We were also bogging each other so that we couldn't loan back the lands. It was really cool. But then I think like my, my build of the deck sort of just pulled me through because I drew the Valkyrie Exploration, played it out, and then I could start off generating advantage and make more land land drops and it just snowballed from there on as it usually does. So that was my four games. I went 2-2, made quite a lot of mistakes that I hopefully learned from. So it was a great evening of magic. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, this is the time to make these mistakes if you're looking at perhaps playing this deck in the upcoming nationals. So good for you. I am uh, jealous and um, uh, happy that you got to play such interesting opponents as well. So what about you, Christopher? How was your first round by evening? Well, to paint the to paint the stage, I'm in a you know a exam period. I I spend a lot of time, like hours, at the university right now, just grinding exercises. I feel myself, and I'm thinking I'm gonna go to the LGS. I know that I'm in a you know exam period, but I'm gonna treat myself. I get there and I get the buy in the first round and I get to watch everybody play, you know, like great magic. And uh, so I'm, I'm a bit, you know, like, oh man, I want to play. Uh, but I got to watch so much, you know, so many cool decks. Our meta <laughs> is just like a, a zoo there to watch, you know. There's like, oh, can we go and watch, you know, the uh, the, the parrots now or anything? Uh, so it was, it, yeah, it, although I got the buy and was a bit disappointed, it was still a good time. But uh yeah, my round two opponent was on Rectorfit, and uh, this is uh, funny because uh, it's uh, yours truly, Victor Bernards uh, of the famous of the Stockholm Legacy Report, uh, a deck that he has played quite a bit. But it's also a deck that my opponent has played quite a bit. Also, I think one of the like some of the first iterations of uh, Arena Rector decks I saw. I think I saw this person playing, and. Uh, uh, this person is also quite known for playing uh, sort of Nickfit decks. Uh, I remember one week, like two, three years ago, I got real spicy and uh, sleeved up Bug Nickfit, and we played the Bug Nickfit mirror in like round one on the, of the LGS. That's beautiful. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, so it, it was great. I'm playing uh, Yorion Aluren for this uh, tournament, by the way. And, you know, my opponent wins the first die roll. We both keep, you know, seven and... It's just like one of these developing matchups, you know, he's green sunning for Arbor and then playing Grists a couple of turns later. I'm just doing some abundant growth stuff and Quattle, setting up for a good Yorian turn. And then my opponent suddenly goes Therapy, Arena Rector into Ugin and exiles all of my, you know, Yorian setup. And I'm sitting there like, oh, that's a, that's a bummer. And uh, like, yeah, his his Grist also plussed, and I got to see him mill a, an opposition agent, which is just, 
extremely freaking good with um, uh, against against all of my recruiters that I'm I'm playing for my combo. So you know, I'm starting to feel you know a bit a bit trapped slowly but surely. And you know, after he exiled all my stuff, he placed a five mana Nissa and a six mana Liliana afterwards. And he also like still has this Grist in play. And I'm just sitting there. I love this. I love this more, more, more. Yeah, like he 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 had the what's the artist name Amano version of Liliana, the Japanese. And I'm like, what does it do? And he's like, oh, it it creates a zombie and it makes uh, people sacrifice stuff. And you know, I think when I, when one of my creatures dies, I get to draw a card or it was something like that. And then he's just like, yeah. So I'll minus my Grist, kill my insect, kill your Teferi. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And then he draws a card. And I'm sitting there like, oh, this is a, this is a nightmare. Uh, how, did I, how did I end up here? And then I realized that, all right, I'm, I'm the captain. So I just ponder, find a Luren, play a Luren, living wish for a Serac and kills him. <laughs> like, so he had, you know... <laughs> That's the captain move. Yeah, I, I just realized, like, oh wait, I'm the captain. This is horrible. I I, I do not endorse. I do not endorse this at all. This is. Uh... <laughs> then you're then you're gonna love game two. <laughs> um, so game two, you know, uh, I play a lot more carefully after seeing Grist mill an opposition agent. You know, the game kind of starts like the first game, uh, but on for, for like turn four or something, my opponent plays an explorer. And, uh, you know, Frexin towers it. And in response to the trigger, he flashes in an agent. And, uh, you know, I am I was ready. I was sitting there with my swords to plowshares. So I just, yeah, okay, I'll remove it. It's fine. So I, I kill it to get my lands. And, uh, you know, I keep on playing some value spells. You know, I play Quattle, Recruiter for another Quattle. Uh, setting up, you know, a big Yorian turn. And he untaps and just plays an Arena Rector again and i'm thinking oh here comes ugin and kills it with the with the tower and gets liliana last hope and and plus on my on my recruiter and i'm sitting there like oh man he has all the fatties all the payoff in his hand but then i also look he's at six lands so he's starting to get there and i have no counter magic uh, in my hand so you know I'm, I'm, you know, trying to, you know, get, get the game ended, and, you know, just anything to, to end the game. He, he's eventually up at seven mana with one card <laughs> in hand, and you know, I know what that card is. Like we both know it. No one needs to say it. It's, it's an eight mana. You're gonna be in a lot of trouble, card. Finally, I'm thinking I need to just find something that can kill him, even if it's not, you know, my alluring combo. Maybe just like an Uro or get Yurion into play or something like that. So first of all, I get my Yurion and I play a Recruiter. And my opponent uh, like had two cards in his hand at this time and he just flashes in an Opposition Agent with my Recruiter on the stack. And he steals my Cavern Harpy, which is like the meanest thing to do because now even if I top deck and learn, I can't combo kill. I need to combo kill via my my living wish now so i'm i'm kind of in a bad spot but uh, you know i get to prismatic ending it and uh, some terms turns later we get into this really funny funny like situation where i 
play Majorian to force him to minus five Ugin, uh, or like, uh, yeah, his Ugin would probably just die in a turn or two. So he does just that. His Ugin is a free loyalty. I play my Aluren and pass the turn. He takes his turn, plus his Ugin up to five, and uh, just pass back. End of turn, I flash in Recruiter, I flash in Arctic Merfolk, uh, which gets the counter and picks up Recruiter. I replay it and play Ukima. So I have exactly five power to kill Ugin. Take my turn, swing Ugin, also top deck a Living Wish, and just wish for a Zerak and kill him. So yeah, I got to creature combat kill Ugin, which was, uh, you know, great. Achievement unlocked. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't uh, hear that every day. Uh, this sounds like a really, really good match. <laughs> I mean, uh, of course, I would root for the other player in this, in this setup, and I feel for this other player, because it sounds as if they played sort of what they are supposed to play in the way they're supposed to play it. And you're just like, I'm going to top take this living wish and just, you know, whatever. Yeah, that, that is the curse of playing like a haymaker deck against combo decks, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, it's kind of like... Uh... A cat always lands on, on its feet, um, the sandwich always falls with the uh, butter side down, and uh, the Ugin and Progenitus, you'll always draw those in Elves and Rector Fit. So that was that was round round two, since the first was a buy. Uh, round three is a little bit less eventful. It's the same blue-white Blade the Delver opponent that uh, Robin played against. And, uh, you know, I've, I've known this person for a lot of years, and uh, we both know what the other one is up to. Uh, game one is just about him playing, you know, Planeswalkers, and you see Teferi and Jace, and I'm just playing draw spells, casting, ending on his Teferi, getting my own countered. Uh, eventually, we get into the situation where I cast my third copy of Aluren, and with an a really unfortunate mistiming, I do get there with a Serac and Harpy. I think my opponent got a bit hasty, and uh, with uh, uh, rather than, than uh, Swords to Plowsharing, my Serac with Harpy on the stack, he did it with Harpy on the trigger, which just, yeah, it it doesn't get him there, because he was playing a, a bit of, you know, it's, it's not straight up blue-white Stoneblade, and it's not like just blue-white Delver. He was playing a main deck, uh, you know, Teferi and Jace. He had, like, the playset Delvers, and then he also played Skyclave Apparition, a copy of that. So when I had my Acerac on the stack, he flashed in his Skyclave, and that's when the mistiming happened when I played my Harpy. He could have uh, sourced it in response to, to the uh, uh, Harpy on the stack. I still had, uh, like, some some cute stuff to do from there. I had a, a, a quattle in my hands. So I still would have gotten to draw quite a bit of cards, but the immediate threat would have been over. Then game two, my opponent plays a turn one Delver and a turn two Delver. <laughs> I ending one of them, but my opponent is just hitting quite hard. And at turn X, <laughs> where I'm not really sure how many turns later, I'm at free life. I have one Abundant Harvest, uh, a growth, I mean. Uh, I've played uh, Harvest a bit more than Growth, so it's uh, it's kind of like relearning. Two carpets, a Yorion in hand among Aluren, Harpy, and another Abundant Growth. So I decide to not play the Growth here, to have Dace mana up. 
I play a Luren for the carpet, like with the carpet mana, and straight up cast Yorion to draw one card because my opponent has a flipped Delrin play adjacent Mind Sculptor, and he will hit for free. Um, so I'm thinking that I'm in a tight spot and I need to play to my outs. So my opponent just plays the Brazen Borrower for free as a creature, and uh, uh, like at the end of turn, so that he's threatening, you know, a lot of avenues to kill me. Um, he can just bounce my Yorion or attack me uh, with both of his creatures and brainstorm, uh, like whatever he wants to. But I do get my my card for the Flickered Growth with uh, Yorion, which is a Quattle. So I play the Quattle and draw into another Quattle. I play the Harpy and pick up the Quattle and play the Quattle again. Guess what card I find? Aserak. It's actually Ukima. All oh, right. So so uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm gonna give you a point for that. So that's a really sick top deck, uh, you might think. But actually, this is besides the harpy, the first creature I drew in the game. <laughs> so so I had all of my quattles, all of my recruiters, like all of the creatures left in the deck. So it was a sick draw. Uh, but I, I was kind of expecting to you know find something at least. So I'm currently free oh and uh, there's only one thing left to do, and that's play, play the quote-unquote finals. But we're three people at 3-0 uh, at this time. It's uh, me on a Luren, and it's uh, one Doomsday player, and a, uh, a red-green Lance player, who uh, the two of you will play uh, uh, the, team, the team's uh, thing with in uh, BSK, uh, the Nationals, which is it's going to be a lot of fun hearing about later. Yeah. We we call him our hope, I think. <laughs> yeah, the hope, the uh, the mega glue, the hero, the hero we need. <laughs> yeah, the hero you don't deserve. <laughs> Who is actually? I think he won the uh, the uh, modern Swedish nat- nationals recently with uh, with Mill. I think we mentioned that maybe, but uh, it's very cool. Um, so both me and the Doomsday player. We're talking a bit before the next round, and we're both just hoping to be paired against this Lance player. <laughs> because, because you know, Doomsday versus Lance, yeah. Like, my, my guess is that it's not going to be end up great again, uh, like great for Lance. Uh, they're quite a slow deck, and uh, they do have some counterplay. But uh, I just think that Doomsday is too consistent to, you know, winning, winning two out of three as lands with that is quite rough. And, uh, you know, me on a Luren, I, I always feel good when I play against lands. I, I can just play so many basics and eventually I have this one card combo. Uh, like it's, it's kind of like your own show and tell, but uh, the cards that you play getting there also stalls the game. Like uh, they can't just kill you with Marit if you're flashing in like stupid creatures <laughs> and uh, this version is also playing you know four swords to plowshares four prismatic endings so you you do get to slow them down as well you know removing their explorations uh, sourcing marit if you have to because their life total doesn't really matter of course i get paired against the doomsday player <laughs> we're both sitting there like oh i have no idea how this is gonna turn out yeah uh, like i mentioned on our last episode i'm not thrilled playing the Yorian deck that is a bit watered down when it comes to combo interaction. I'm not I'm not thrilled to play against an efficient combo deck like TS, Ant or Doomsday. 
because they are so fast and efficient and I'm playing 80 cards. Anyways, game one, I get turned one. <laughs> I actually win the die roll and I go forest birds of paradise and my opponent just okay that's cool and goes like dark ritual doomsday and uh, he's playing the consider version like uh, the newest adaptation of uh, of the deck and he just straight up kills me with consider deep analysis led into into oracle and he also like showed me afterwards like uh, the game one he had packed of negation and days to protect his uh, doomsday <laughs> like uh, from on the first turn also so it was just like super lethal uh, it felt terrible I mean, having those cards in your in your combo hand, I, I think this illustrates well how good of a combo deck Doomsday is. When he sort of wins uh, and then sort of reveals, I had these cards too, by the way, that I could have played had I needed to, but I didn't need to because I crushed you with only these cards. <laughs> Even if you would have had the double force, it wouldn't have been enough. You would have needed the double force and days, which is just like, yikes. So game two, I get an early Teferi, uh, like a turn two Teferi into play. After forcing another turn one Doomsday, dark, like Dark Ritual into Doomsday. <laughs> so my opponent is just like drawing super hot. So yeah, I, I, I get a, a, an early Teferi and I literally brainstorm lock myself, but I do have, I do get some more forces out of the deal. So, you know, I fetch Yorion from my sideboard just to get another blue card so i have you know as many blue cards as possible and the lands that i have in play are literally literally one of each basic so i can't even pay for some negation with mana <laughs> so it's it's super awkward but you know eventually we get to a spot where i get to cast my yurion i i have a carpet in play and i get to cast my yurion and eventually just beat him down i think he was at uh, like 12 or 11 when i started beating and uh, the game ends with him having you know three of his fours doomsday countered um, so he just he picks it up when he was at seven and i countered the third doomsday game three my opponent moves to six and i keep a hand completely without interaction i'm thinking yeah it's uh it's a uh, I don't think my my uh, like six might be better. I'm gonna take a gamble here. So my opponent goes turn one ritual Thoughtseize, and he sees ponder brainstorm growth quattel teferi and two lands. Uh, he rips my ponder out of there, casts another ritual into doomsday and passes. I draw carpet for the turn. I play carpet with that with my second main phase mana. I brainstorm into endurance so i boarded in i actually boarded in i played one endurance in the sideboard and i boarded it in game three because i was thinking about how fast he's killing me right now and i'm not gonna have the opportunity to living wish for it i don't think in this game i rather have it in the deck hoping to draw it and i get mega like rewarded i find it and my opponent goes, pedal, I think pedal, consider, or just uh, consider, mills deep analysis, draws LED, flashback analysis, plays island and oracle with zero cards in hand. And I get to evoke that endurance into 4-0. So yeah, those were 
the games for the evening. And you know, I the Yuri on the Learn is super strong. Uh, there are matchups where I definitely feels like it's a bit weaker than the 60 card, like against Doomsday. But it's a matchup that that's already quite bad. So it doesn't really damage you all that much uh, playing the, the 80 card version. And it's it's really nice playing, you know, the Teferis. They, they can do so much damage to a lot of decks, especially blue fair decks. If they can't uh, prismatic ending it and you're playing it on turn three or turn two with a like mana bird or something, you're really putting the pressure on like, yeah, I, I can just straight up kill you turn three or four with without protection because my protection is already in play so yeah it's uh it was a really fun first day and uh 4-0 for the team gold medal ggdt gold medal ggdt yeah congratulations and also our our friend that will play with us on the team three also went 4-0 as well so that was really cool the hero hell Hell yeah. yeah You're affiliated with some strong wizards. That's what I like to think, that I am up to scratch to affiliate myself with stronger wizards. <laughs> I, like <it laughs> yeah. how I, set, I like it how I set uh, really high goals for myself as well. That's, that's good. But, uh, but yeah, excellent. It would be uh, really cool to see, to see you come along, Victor, so that we're the full 3-0. Yeah, yeah, no, this will happen for sure. Uh, in good time, in good time, for sure. time to return to a favorite segment for many of our listeners the basic land connoisseur panel we can only put uh, so many things in our show notes uh, every week and the panel has been swapped out for a while uh, sitting on the bench but now making a powerful return with the legacy mega classic deck goblins and what do we have here i'm gonna start off myself actually in the onslaught uh, so quite an early magic expansion onslaught card number 345 uh, mountain art by david day so this features um sort of a sandy very light red color uh, theme all through you have a side uh, of a mountain the side of a cliff really uh, in the foreground uh, in which there are a bunch of holes that sort of are shaped like uh, almost like doors but they don't have any sort of doors on them they're just door holes uh, in the wall uh, some rickety wooden structures uh, that you can walk uh, between these doors some ropes uh, and ladders so essentially um, it seems to be a settlement inside this cliff and uh, these rickety wooden structures is the way to enter these and then in the background uh, you see a uh, mountain range of a very different almost orangey color which is a very nice contrast to this sandy red that you have in the forefront and of course the goblins of this goblins deck will reside in these caverns because i see in in my in my lore in my interpretation of lore goblins reside in caves Uh, they do not go out in the sun unless they have to it's it's deep in the mountains where they sit and weld (laughs) their stuff and so on and so forth Uh, uh, that's where the goblin kings command their tiny but uh, efficient forces uh, to go out into the world and wreak havoc so onslaught number 345 by david day is my pick i think i think we can all agree on that this is the the best pick the number one pick <laughs> yeah i actually uh, when he posted this uh, on on our discord 
I was a bit, you know, like, oh man, he picked one of the ones that I was going to pick. You know, Onslaught has so many iconic goblin cards, like Sharpshooter. I think uh, maybe the, the goblin, sle- like, what's the name? The Sledder. You know, Sharpshooter, pile driver. There's a lot of really bangers from from Onslaught. And uh, this really looks like, yeah, they live here. And it's... Uh, it's a very moody picture for a goblin. Yeah, I just, I just posted the goblin ringleader picture on our Discord. You can check it out. It looks like it might be that kind of mountain that they are seeing in the background in that picture. Yeah, yeah, it looks uh, looks quite quite close to it. It does. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so um, that's my pick. Thank you, Robin, for giving me the first prize already before revealing your mountain. But uh, which one did you bring? Yeah, so I... I, I... I've been playing a little bit of uh, goblins. Uh, I have not really uh, thought out basic plan there. Maybe I should have. Um, give the deck a little bit of more love. But um, I, I found this uh, this mountain on the land discord in the pimp section. <laughs> I thought it was really nice looking and perfect for a goblins deck. So this is an APEC mountain. Did you have the details of it, Victor? Yeah, this is from the Asia Pacific Land program uh, number eight. And Rebecca Gway. Number eight. Yeah, so this is one of few Rebecca Gway basic lands with an old school border, which is always my favorite border. And it has this sort of also sandy or even muddy looking um, mountains that are really steep and rising up from sort of a riverbed in between them. And there's a little bit of vegetation, but they are looking really hard, hard, to, hard to climb and, and not welcoming. And I could totally see like the goblins raging down from this, this mountainsides and just doing a sneak attack, something like that. So, and it has all of this watercolor feel to it, which is quite Rebecca Gway-ish. And uh, I think that it fits the theme of uh, of the goblins deck quite a lot because a lot of the goblins are really old and from this sort of time period where where the art was a little bit more uh, watercolor-ish. Uh, so I, I like this lens. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with the uh, with the watercolor and also kind of like the the kind of uh, folklore aesthetic. I feel like a lot of older uh, goblin pictures have this uh, kind of. I think I think I I associated with the you know fairy tale folklore child books when they were depicting you know goblins there. It kind of reminds me of of that aesthetic and the the, the Rebecca Gway mountain really feeds into that in a really nice way. So Christopher, what have you brought for us? I actually so one of my first picks actually got picked by by Victor. So I decided to go with another. Another style, another you know side of goblins, where which I think is uh, hasn't really been explored as much, and it's uh, Champions of Kamigawa. It's uh, John Avon version 302, and I really enjoy this. Uh, it's it's kind of snowy. I mean, this could have been a snow-covered mountain art, maybe, or maybe that's ash. The important thing about it is, it looks really dreamy. It looks. Uh, kind of uh, Lord of the Rings-ish, uh, where they they also battle goblins in Moria. But it, it, it re- looks like it could be from another world. And I think that's one of the, the appeals with playing goblins, is that it's 
it's a deck based entirely around a a fantasy like creature race and it's it's a very nostalgic for a lot of people either you know from folklore or uh, you know maybe lord of the rings or like a game like magic the gathering whoever you talk about you know what does goblin mean to you there are going to be a lot of different answers uh, it could be you know the that scene where they're just swarming in moria and they're running away from them in that giant hall or it could be you know getting lackey to turn one it can be <laughs> a lot of different things and what I really enjoy about Champions of Kamigawa was how they depicted uh, these legendary uh, goblins from the era because they got drawn in such a different way than they usually were drawn. And, you know, I'm talking about uh, Sosu the Punisher, I'm talking about Kikijiki, the Mirror Breaker. And these cards, they kind of drew them a bit more, you know, uh, cartoonish. Uh, which I think is a very nice take on how you create these goblins that they, they always uh, get some, uh, not always, but a lot of time they do get some sort of uh, like comedic treatment, um, like goblins. They're a lot of fun. They're like, uh, there's everything from, you know, the goblin snowman to, you know, them sledding, create like mixing it with humor is not new when it comes to goblins. And, you have these these goblins from Kamigawa that looks a bit more like their paintings from like an old, uh, maybe like a, they can look dragon-like. And uh, so they, they do look more cartoonish, but they also are a bit more sinister than a lot of goblins usually are in, in their visuals. And I just think like, uh, I think they look more fantasy book than goblins has ever done. Uh, so I, I picked the John Avon, which just would be a perfect, you know, place for these goblins to reside. So that's my pick. Now I think you make a lot of great, a lot of great goblin art direction points here, uh, because of course uh, goblins can be pictured uh, really sort of um, tropey or predictably styled or stylized, uh, as you say in the cartoonish way. But these 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 sort of uh, examples you bring up, I think, are both cartoonish and sinister uh, and that's so cool about them and and this land i think this is a really great great and i mean john avon is such a master uh, in in these lands and i think this one shows again why because mountains basic mountains in in uh, mtg i also find are painted almost always from a distance like you you, you commission the art to be the entire mountain or or a mountain range or a, a mountain top whereas in this picture, we are in the middle of this mountain range. We have, there is this beautiful bridge. Uh, there are these weird uh, sort of uh, fragile rocky structures in the forefront. There is uh, additional mountain tops uh, in, in the background. There is even this, is this a volcano-ish reddish glow at the further back coming up from behind the ridge? I don't know. But the point is that we are, we are being put in the mountain not looking at the mountain. And I love that about this art. And I think that actually goes for more or less all the three uh, suggestions that we brought, that all of these three examples are from within the mountain range or standing just at the foot of the mountain. And uh, I would like to see more basic mountain art like that. Yeah, it, it kind of, uh, if you're talking about, you know, maybe photo school or uh, drawing classes, it's the perspective um, if you're looking at uh, like the, the pics that you brought and, and maybe also a bit mine 
you're kind of feeling small watching these because they're like uh, yeah you 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 might have the perspective of the goblin uh, on your way home it's not like you know one of these epic mountains that you talked about the uh, the ones that we've talked about earlier so i re- i really think that you know perspective does a lot for this and if you want to convey a goblin feeling i really think that all of these does a really good job although i also give the first pick to onslaught yeah, but I mean, I, I completely agree with that because, uh, like, if if you splash red for pyroblasts in the board, you could have this this uh, picture of a mountain in the background, right? So when when someone is bringing forth their their island magic, you can just I, I got this mountain in the back. I took a little, I take a little bit of its power and uh, and present a, a pyroblast. But like, if you're going to play goblins, you need to be in the mountain in the actual mountain you can't have a mountain in the back you need to be residing in the mountain and be among the mountain peaks so yeah those those lands are quite doing that and uh, that is all we have for this week if you think this was a good podcast please help us grow by telling a friend if you want to reach out to us a great way to do is to join the discord server you can please find a link uh, in the episode information or ask us uh, at twitter uh, at sthlm legacy if anyone wants to find us personally where can we be found robin you can find me on our discord server and you can find me on twitter i'm at monolithmtg but yeah you can also reach me on the discord and I am in the Discord or on Twitter at DiscoDrogo. And that is the end of the 22nd episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson Sian and Christopher Wikström. The great Franes has written our music. You should check them out on Spotify. Until next time, watch out for the Airwig Squad.